All right, tonight, if you will, let's go back to the epistle of James, James chapter number five. We'll pick back up where we was at last uh, Sunday night. And uh, we started, uh, I believe it was Sunday before last, uh, with this chapter. And uh, we'll just continue to deal with our heart. And we're just going to continue to look in this chapter of James line by line. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I enjoy uh, going line by line in the scripture. Uh, it there's nothing wrong with topical preaching, but when you uh, look into God's Word and to get the context of what the Scripture is saying to us and what the Lord has left us, there's a lot of things that can be gleaned by going line by line in the Word of God and learning what the Lord wants us to know. Okay, if we're going to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, then we're going to have to know what the Lord is saying to us. Now there's a lot of things. Uh, the Holy Ghost of God knows what the body, uh, local assembly is in need of when you don't know and when I don't know. And the Lord knows what I need when I don't know sometimes. And the Lord has sent me some things that I needed that I wasn't aware that I was going to need, but was happy and thankful that he did. Uh, and so the Lord has a way of laying things and burdening a man's heart uh, for a, a certain portion of Scripture or a text of Scripture. Uh, and, and the Lord just allows us to uh, glean from that. But to, to go line by line and preach uh, through the Word of God is a good thing and we need it. For it is line upon line and precept upon precept that makes a difference in our life. Uh, you can put a child in uh, that's never been in school before, give that child the best lesson that it's ever had its first day of school, and that's not going to suffice that child for the rest of its life. You and I have got to learn something, and we get, uh, we get the, the help that we need line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And so what you gather from God's house today and God's book today you may not walk away from what you hear uh, in the sound of my voice for the next little while and, and take it all home with you. Uh, but you will get something out of it. And I, I like that because kids, I've noticed that even small children sit in the house of God. They don't get everything, but they get a little bit. And a little bit over a long period of time turns into a whole lot. And so you and I need to understand that we need God's word and we need it daily and we need the house of God every week to help us but we're going to we're going to look here in uh, James chapter number five and uh, I think what I'm going to do is just uh, is just go ahead and read back in verse number seven and uh, maybe read down to verse number uh, 15 so I invite you to stand with us tonight for the reading and reverence of the word of God and uh, let's take up our reading now in James chapter number five and verse number seven, seven, where the Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. 
Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be uh, condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before uh, the door. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we ask you tonight as we go back into these scriptures and look into your word, line upon line, that you'd help us to get the context of what it is that you're saying to us through these verses of Scripture, teach us, we do pray, help us, our hearts and minds would be open to you. We do ask that you would put a holy hush upon your people, give attentive ears to hear what thus saith the Lord, to help us, Father, to have clarity of thought and speech, but more than that, that you would guard our lips of clay and help us to rightly divide the word of truth. We'll thank you, Father, in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen and amen. All right, so uh, considering... Uh, this portion of scripture that we've been looking at, uh, we understand that having started out in this particular chapter, uh, that we started in the first six verses and we dealt with the dangers of riches, or uh, maybe if we were to have titled that message, we would have titled that message, Unprofitable Riches. And uh, that was on a Sunday morning, Sunday before last. Then last, I believe Sunday before last on the PM service, we uh, dealt with the uh, uh, I believe it was James chapter 5 and verse 7 where the Bible says be patient uh, therefore and we preached out of that and uh, we looked at the fact that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and uh, experience hope and we dealt with those things and this last Sunday night we went back to the, the epistle here in James chapter 5 and we looked at verses 7 through 11 and uh, we maybe if we were to title that would have titled that message counting them a happy which endure, but we see some things uh, in our study here, going line by line, that I want to just quickly draw your attention to as we move forward and pick back up uh, in these uh, latter uh, verses here in this chapter. We understand that we're to be patient because He is patient. We know that He is a long suffering. The Lord is long suffering, right? And we, we moved on and we got down uh, in these verses of Scripture in, in verse number 8. And the Bible talk, talked about establishing our hearts. It be also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And so we understood the importance of getting rooted and grounded and being steadfast and not allowing things to sway us 
uh, one way to the other, but to be uh, solid and steadfast in all things. Why? Why were we to be patient? We're to be patient because uh, we understand that people were at a place in their life right here where they was uh, had the heart of even so come Lord Jesus, right? And so we were t- they were being taught patience here. They were understanding that they needed to have their hearts established for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So in other words, don't get lax. Don't fall on the other side of the ditch and assume that because the Lord hasn't come yet and because I'm telling you to be patient that you can kick it in neutral and not move forward because we are in a dispensation right now where the church being the body of Christ has a job to do and now is the time to get it done, right? And so we emphasize that. We're not to get sidetracked here by uh, grudges. said, grudge not one against another. Brethren, lest you be condemned, behold, the judge standeth before the door. You get a church that gets sidetracked and they are not looking for the coming of the Lord. They're not considering the coming of the Lord. They're not doing anything but bickering amongst themselves and they have become an ineffective local assembly for the cause of Christ, okay? And uh, so anyhow, anyhow, moving on, uh, we get down here in verse 10, it says, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example. So all the things that was set up to this point, now we have an example. And we looked at the prophets and we talked about how the prophets had faith and how they suffered uh, affliction and how they went through uh, trials and tribulations for the cause of Christ. Then we look in verse 11 and we found to behold, we count down happy which endure. We ask the question, how could one be happy that it has to endure such things? And then we have an example of an example, understanding that Job was a poster child for that of patience and tribulation and trouble, right? And so the Bible says, you've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy, knowing that the Lord was pitiful and tender mercy, that Job, the latter end of his life, those last 140 years of Job's life was far better than, the, than the, his life had been prior to that point. And uh, knowing that our life is but a vapor, you understand here, that, that what trouble that Job had in his life was just a small fraction or small portion of his overall lifespan. But knowing that God blessed him and brought him out of his troubles and trials and tribulations, Job still had to lay down his life and die because we know that mankind does indeed die. It's appointed that a man wants to die and after this the judgment. Now it's interesting because all the affliction, all of the problems that Job had did not keep Job from closing his eyes in death at the end of his life, right? Okay, that's important. And there's a reason why these verses that seem somewhat scattered and broken up in this one chapter that doesn't seem to flow, we're going to find that they do indeed flow. See, I I want us to realize when you get down here into verse number 14 where the Bible says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We better make sure that we get in this in context. Because if you get this out of context, and I want you to understand something, this one verse of scripture right here has been brought out of context so much that there's actually been denominations built on this kind of skewed doctrine. And so what actually happened, are you saying that we can't pray for the sick? I'm not saying that. Are you saying that the, the sick's never been healed? I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is though, the overall doctrinal stand that some people have taken from these portions of scripture out of context has been built wrong. And so we've got to, we've got to look at this and be very careful, uh, what this is, uh, what the Word of God is saying to us, 
contextually, okay? So essentially, we have had an exhortation to patience. We've seen a warning to stay steadfast, to be established, to have your heart established. A warning not to get sidetracked. Then we've been given examples to back up the warnings and the exhortation up to this point, right? But when we look at the exhortation to patience and understanding that we, we need not get in a rush, but we need to take the time that the Lord has given us to be all that we should be as the church, to be steadfast, to get established, because I got news for you, an, an individual that's not established, an individual that doesn't know who they are, uh, homes that don't know who they are, and churches that have no identity or suffer an identity crisis cannot help someone that's lost and dying and on their way to hell. We have to be rooted and grounded in something. And so the, that something is the word of God. And if you know that this is a part of your life that is lacking, I highly suggest that you make it a priority in your life to get rooted and grounded and find out who you are and what you are as an individual for your homes to get that way, for our church to be that way so we can be effective, right? All right, so having said that, there's a warning to steadfastness. Then there's a warning not to get sidetracked. Then we get an example of what it is for one to suffer, uh, for, to suffer affliction for the cause of Christ. We count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. The Lord is very pitiful and tender mercies. But then get this. Above all things. So everything that we've learned in the past three messages in James 5, it all goes to this one thing. Above everything that's been taught on in three messages concerning James chapter number five, this is highly important. And as James is pinning this epistle, he says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be your yea, let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest, lest ye fall into condemnation. So here's what I want us to see here. We don't swear by anything. We are being exhorted or, or admonished, and these the, 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 the Jew that James is writing to, he is saying here, swear not neither by heaven neither by earth, neither by any other oath. Now, was it not Christ, or was it not the Lord, excuse me, that swore by himself because there was none greater? So what we're, we're, we're not careful, we're going to say that there's something wrong with, with an oath. We're, we're going to say that we shouldn't have an oath, but, but I want you to understand something. It's not that we're doing away with the oath. It's that we ought to be so honest and truthful as God's people that everything that we say, whether it be yea or nay, is looked at to be as strong as an oath. It's not that we should emphasize that what I'm saying by something greater than myself to, to, to give it some kind of, a, of authority or to prove to you that I mean what I say. And the only way that you know if I mean what I say to be truth or not is if I swear by something greater than myself, then you'd get the impression that if I'm not willing to swear by something greater than myself, then I might not be honest or telling the truth. In other words, 
what, what's this got to do contextually with what we've learned? It's got to do with trust. It's got to do with everything hinging on that what we've learned up until this point that this lost and dying world that you and I need to be very careful to preach to. That you and I need to be very careful not to get sidetracked and get caught up in our own living and our own life and forget that we are in a dispensation where the Lord expects this body of Christ to go out and win lost souls for the glory and for the honor of God that they may escape the charred walls of the damned. That all of that will be of none effect if a person cannot trust you or trust me. So James is saying, don't get caught up here in swearing by something greater than yourself. You make sure that when you say something, that somebody can take it to the bank and cash it and know that it's not going to bounce. Now, I'll just be honest with you. We're far removed from that in the society that we live in today. But as dishonest, doesn't the light shine the brightest in the darkest hour? So if you and I would get this way, and make sure that when we said something, we meant it. And what we said, we would stand by. And if we said yes, it meant yes. And if we said no, it meant no. Then we would shine very bright in a dark world among people who cannot be trusted. And when somebody believes in you and can trust you that you are what you say you are, you have an opportunity to go to them and win them for the cause of Christ. But if you've black-eyed yourself or you've black-eyed the church, listen, I've said it before, trust is, a, is an upward climb. And, and, and to trust and to be trusted, you have to work a long time to get and gain trust. But it takes just a small little mess up to ruin everything that it took you a long time to reach. Now, I'm glad God is a forgiving God. And I'm glad that he loves us and he is long-suffering. But to, to, to understand this, you need to, you need to grasp the fact people are looking at you and they're looking at me. They're not looking at the Holy Spirit for you can't see the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, uh, we are the body of Christ. Now the Holy Spirit needed a body. The Spirit of God needed a body, right? So we're the ones that people see. Now you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of it. You don't see the Holy Spirit, but you see the effects of it. And so here's what I want us to see though. We are the body of Christ and we are what people are looking at when they are trying to get a glimpse of the Lord. And if you and I are perverted, are perverting what the Lord is, we, we are perverting the picture of the Lord when you and I are not trustworthy. Now, James didn't say be perfect in all that you do. James is just saying be honest. I have, I, I will say this, I have more respect for somebody that can be honest even, even, even when they're wrong. If they can just be honest about it, you've got a basis to work with. You've got some people, they'll live in sin and they'll do everything they can to hide it. They'll do everything they can to try to make you think differently about them than what's really going on. But I got more respect for somebody to just look you in the eye and say, yeah, I did that, sure did. And I was wrong for it. I, you got something to work with. But James is saying here, let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays, lest you fall into condemnation. 
Then he goes on here and he has this to say. Listen, you do understand tonight the importance of being trusted and having a testimony. I hope that you do. If we don't maintain a testimony, we have, we, we've, we've lost our effectiveness. All our desire to have the Lord come back or in all of our patience or, or what, if we can't be trusted, we're, we're messing up. All of this hinges on trustworthiness. I want you to understand that, all right? Okay, so we've went from what we are to do. See, you, you realize that verses uh, one through six is explaining to us the dangers of riches. But verses seven uh, through number 11 is telling us what we are to do and then give us an example of what we are to do. Right? We see the example of what we are to do. But we go from what we are to do to this matter of verse number 12 where the Bible says, But of all things, my brethren, above all things, brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath. Let your yea be yea, your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. We see the importance of trustworthiness and truthfulness being the head or the top of all that we've learned about what to do. But we've went from learning what to do to what we are to be. See, we get caught up in what to do. Even in the Baptist church sometimes, as a local assembly, we start looking at what we should do. Well, I don't know, Brother Marvin, but things look kind of slim in here tonight. What should we do? We'll calculate, compute, figure, try to plug in some kind of a uh, an idea as what to do about this. Well, there's but one thing to do. It's you and I not just being focused on what we are to do and how we are, but what we are to be. If you and I can get the what we are to be right, the what we are to do will come naturally. Okay, and so it's not about what to do as much as it is what to be. If you and I are not going to be trustworthy, if we're not going to be honest, if we're not going to stay focused in this thing, then all these other things don't really matter. They matter, but it's not going to cause us, we're not going to be effectual. Okay? Uh, but, so we move on here to verse number 13. And uh, let's see here. Let's, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So would you say that... Uh, You've had times in your life where you felt afflicted. Like maybe things where you were up against it, so to speak. Maybe there's times in your life where you felt jovial. You felt happy. You felt merry. You just had a, uh, you was just bubbling up inside. The Bible says here, is any among, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Now here's an interesting thing that I, that, that I want to show you as we switch gears again in this uh, last chapter of this epistle. Why does the Bible say, is, it, is any among you afflicted, question mark, let him pray? Because God is interested in hearing from you, number one. What is an affliction? What is being married? What is being sick? 
Now think about this. Being, being afflicted, being sick, those are experiences. Now what did we learn back here in verse number 11 or verse number 10? Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. We know that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope, right? And we count them happy which endure these things. And then we see Job as a poster child to this. But, but now we're not just looking at the example of them, we're looking at us. I've given you the, the exhortation, I've given you the warnings, I've given you the example. I've told you not only what to do, but how to be. Now I'm asking you personally, is anybody afflicted here? See, it's interesting when it starts, when it starts hitting home. I love to read the Bible, and, and I love it when I've got a verse that I can give you, Brother Shane. But there's sometimes when I'm the one that has to have the Bible applied to me. There's sometimes when I have to read verses in the Bible that's easy for me to give to you, but hard for me to take for myself. It's hard for me sometimes to understand that all things work together the good of them that love the Lord and they're called according to his purpose. That sounds good when Brother Shane's having problems, but that's a little harder to swallow when it's me that's having the issue. And so what right here, we're, after we've gone through this exhortation and this warning and this uh, what to, what to, how to do and what to do and how to be, we get down here and the, and the Bible says, any among you afflicted, let him pray. Why? Why pray? You need to pray. Who else in the world would be better to get a hold of in your affliction than the Lord? These are experiences. And I want to remind you that God does what in experiences? He's teaching us something. And it's that we may know him, like Paul states, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Okay, so is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. What are psalms? Psalms are songs that glorify the Lord. So I'll say this, if you've been afflicted and you've gone to the Lord in prayer, Lord's helped you in your troubles and trials. You've experienced the hand of God in your life. Boy, it's easy to magnify and praise the name of the Lord when you go back and you look what God's brought us from and what God's done in our life. My wife and I were talking just the other day. And man, I, just every once in a while in conversation, we'll be talking about something. One of us will just break down and go to cry because of the, the, the goodness of God and the realness that, that, that it is to have a relationship with him. We have gone through some things and some experiences that have not only brought us closer together as a couple, but closer to the Lord, which is the whole point. See, I'm closer to the Lord now than I have been in, in, in years past because I've got more time living for the Lord. And the longer that I live with him, the more I appreciate and love him because I know that I'm where I'm at today because of him. And so I, I would say that just like my relationship with my wife, my relationship to the Lord is sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. And I would worry tonight if you could not say that you are closer to the Lord through your experiences than you were in the past. 
Because we understand that tribulation, the world's full of tribulation, the world's full of trouble. Man born one is a few days and full of trouble. Well, trouble's supposed to do something. The, the troubles and the trials of this life work with patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And I wonder where you're at in that, in that chain of events right there. So is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Well, we got a lot to praise the Lord for tonight. Then the Bible says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I want to I call your attention to this for just a moment. Let's go ahead and read verse 15. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. Now, I'm going to be honest with you tonight. If we had someone in our church who, don't let this scare you, you just hear me out good. Come to, uh, come to me in our church and said, Preacher, I'm sick. I'm distressed. I want to be anointed with oil. I would want to know the motivation behind why they wanted to be anointed with oil. If their only purpose to be anointed with oil was to be healed, I would not anoint them with oil. Because the oil is signifying something. Now this is important and you really need to get a hold of this. First of all, I want to I remind you before I get deep, too deep into this, as I try to build a case around this to get you to understand we understand that man born of a woman is a few days and full of troubles, but we know that man that lives on this earth, it's appointed unto man wants to die. So if we took the prayer of faith by the same mindset that most take when they use this verse of scripture, then we could say that if we had enough faith, we'd never die. Just any time we had a problem or a hiccup in life, We'd grab the elders of the church and we'd anoint with oil and if we had enough faith, we'd be healed of it. But you and I know that that goes against the scripture. Mankind, man that draws breath on God's earth, will die. Job is the example. Think about this. The poster child for what James is saying here, he died. Sure he had trials. Sure he had afflictions. Yes, he scraped his bulls. Yes, he sat in the ash pile. Yes, his health was taken from him. He was basically a dead man walking. And the only reason he wasn't dead is the Lord wouldn't give his life over to that of Satan. But Satan done everything else in the world to him that could be thought of. But he, he walked. He was restored twice as much, more than he'd ever had, right? Looked like Job had things going for him. I mean, God restored him. He had children. He had wealth. He had health. He had it all for 140 years. But what happened? He still died. Was Job a man of faith? Absolutely, Job was a man of faith. Why? How do we know Job was a man of faith? We know Job was a man that learned patience, don't we? How does a man learn patience? By tribulation. Tribulations work with patience, patience experience. I'd say Job had patience, Job had tribulation, and Job had some experiences. But Job had hope. And Job knew not to turn his back on God. 
And, and the Lord rewarded Job like, like no one has ever been able to imagine. It's like Job suffered more than any man can imagine, but God blessed him more than man could imagine. But Job still died. So we cannot look at verse number 14 and say that a person that's sick, anyone that's sick, if they have enough faith, can be healed of their sickness. That's not what that means. Now, let me, let me digress for just a moment. Would you say that Paul was a man of faith? Yes, he was a man of faith. Paul was the one that wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he knew that he'd have to do it through suffering. So Paul was a man that understood that Paul was going to have to suffer some things. He was going to have to be patient. He was going to have to experience some things. But in his experience, he knew that hope was at the end of the matter. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse number 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So it was Paul's physical desire... To have this thorn in the flesh, quote unquote, removed from him because it was causing him problems in his flesh. Now, many people have tried to determine what this thorn in the flesh was, but you and I don't have to know what the problem was to get the message. Because what he's describing, he never does get right down to it and describe what it is. But the problem that he actually has, he calls a thorn in the flesh. Well, what does that mean? All right, well, let's move on here and, and, and let's look at the rest of this. He said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. This thorn that I have in the flesh, I desire that it be gone. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So this thorn in the flesh shows the weakness of Paul, whatever this thorn is. Paul, a man that's suffered and gone through some things and understands that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience is suffering from something and having to be patient with it because it will not go away. But he desired that it would. And more so than desiring that it would go away, he actually asked the Lord to take it away. Now I want you to notice this. Because is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Why? Because you better get a hold of God. When we're going through something. And we understand that tribulations work with patience. And patience experience. You and I have to ask the question. What is God trying to teach me. Through this tribulation? What is God trying to show me. Through this trial? What is God wanting to get me to see that I may know him better in the power of his resurrection? What is he doing? Well, who better than the ass than the Lord, Brother Shane? I can't look at my problem and say, Brother Shane, I'm suffering this thorn in the flesh. Tell me what God is saying to me. No, 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 it don't work that way. You have to get in your prayer closet and pray and talk to God and seek his face. And you may just come to the realization 
that in your weakness, he is made strong. Paul, by being weak, shows the strength of the Lord. And ultimately, I want you to understand tonight that anything you and I do that takes away from the power of the Lord, we are destined for failure and we're destined for pride and pride cometh before a fall. Every time. I don't get started on politics, but I sent Brother Marvin a text the other night with the golden Donald Trump rolling in. I don't know if y'all seen that or not. Made me sick to my stomach. Has anybody not read the book of Exodus? I mean, good night. The golden calf, it's not that. It's Anyway, we, we, we cannot do anything that uplifts ourselves and takes away from God. But God sometimes will put us in a position to where in our weakness it shows his strength. Was it not Paul that had the heart to go to Jerusalem knowing what was going to befall? He didn't know what would befall him, but he did know that there was something there that wasn't going to be good. Far as his flesh was concerned. But he went anyway. Why? For the cause of Christ. And right here, Paul is suffering something in his flesh that he wished he didn't have to suffer from a fleshly standpoint. But he understood that it was in his weakness that the Lord was made strong. And the Bible says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly. Therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's saying, I would rather endure the thorn in the flesh for the shame and in my weakness have God's power than not to have the thorn in the flesh and be working in my own power without the Lord. And essentially what I want you to see is here sometimes God will utilize things that we are going through and the experiences that he is trying to teach us not only to make us stronger but to make what we are doing more effectual because it shows Christ when we're going through it. All right, so in other words, you don't need your strength. You need willingness and you need his strength. And Paul was a willing person. But he calls this issue that he's having a thorn in the flesh. And I get tickled because so many people get so theological, they're dying to figure out what this thorn was. We're, and we're missing the message. He was dealing with a thorn in the flesh. Where did thorns come from? How come thorns are here? Thorns exist on this earth because of sin. So some would say, well, I guess old Paul just didn't pray with faith. Paul had had faith, he wouldn't have been sick. If Paul had had faith, he wouldn't have had no thorn in the flesh. We know that thorns come because of sin. And sin, this world is cursed and nothing you can do and nothing I can do can reverse the fact that thorns are on this earth. Oh, you can get the roundup, you can get the weed eater, you can get the bush hog, but it's funny to me, it keeps coming back. And the whole point was that man had it made in the shade, friend, and because of sin, he was going to have to till the ground by the sweat of his face, eat his bread, and these thorns were going to come up and was going to stick and prick him as he was working for his food. Say, so what is a thorn? It's a reminder. Every time you see a thorn, friend, it ought to remind you of the curse that was put on this world because of sin. So I wouldn't say that Paul didn't have faith. Oh, I say Paul through his experiences 
And through his tribulation, through his patience, knowing that patience work experience and experience hope, that Paul was going through things that was building his faith. Not that Paul did not have faith. So the thorn is representing something that isn't going to go away. Can I say to you, a sin-cursed world is going to stay a sin-cursed world until it melts with a fervent heat. But it does produce thorns. Now I want you to notice something. Let me read you a verse of scripture. Genesis 3, 17 says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast uh, eaten of the tree of which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat bread, uh, eat of all the day of thy life. Of thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken from dust thou art, and dust shalt thou return. So cursed is the ground for thy sake. And in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the day of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. That's important, to thee. The thorns and the thistles were for Adam. Now, I don't know, I used to rabbit hunt growing up. We'd had a pack of dogs, and we always wore uh, duck canvas breeches to keep the thorns and the thistles from sticking us as we went through them old rough fields. But I, it's interesting to me, I don't, and I, I, know you, I know you understand this, but if a thorn is for Adam, that thorn was to remind Adam every time it stuck him of sin. It was going to show him and remind him of what had been and what was. Now, I don't know about you, but do you ever go through life or go through something in your life and you think about what has been? You get so caught up about what has been that it causes you to not be what you ought to be today. But here's what I like about this. And I hope this blesses you as much as it has me. And I'm sure some of you probably read this and understood this, but, but maybe for some of you that's not heard it, let me give you just a little example. You do understand when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, before he was sent out of the Garden, that there was an animal that had to lose its life, and that skin was removed from that animal, and that skin was placed upon mankind so that it was to cover their nakedness, right? We've stated before, the fig leaves obviously wasn't sufficient, so God thought they might need to be covered up a little better. And so he, he kills this innocent animal and he takes this coat of skin and places on them. Now, I don't mean to gore you or, or, to, or to, it's to be gory or to bore you, but let me say this. It's just possible that they got blood on them. See, this animal shed its blood and its skin was placed upon Adam and Eve. And so you see the animal shed its innocent blood, yet they are bloody with this coat of skin and they're sent out of the garden with their nakedness covered. But you see a picture of bloodshed. We see that in the, in the time that sin is, is pictured, that blood is also pictured, and a sacrifice has to be made. This is all common sense. We know this. But the thorn was for Adam. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So you're going to have to work in the field. And the thorn and the thistle is going to be among you. And you're going to have to fight among the thorns and thistles. And in your effort to eat, if you expect to live, you're going to get stuck with thorns and thistles. And you can be walking through a thistle patch and the thistles break off and they're in your skin. 
Thorns. I don't know what it is about farms and thorns, but I spend a lot of time changing flats on a tractor because of those thorns, them little thistle bushes that come up. They got thorns on them that long. My wife took one for Bible school one time and made a, a crown of thorns out of it for Bible school. That's how long those thorns are. And they will puncture a tractor tire. And when you get stuck with one, it'll break off and it will stick in your skin. What is that? It's a reminder of sin. It's a reminder of the curse. But along with the reminder of the curse, the only way to get rid of the thorn is to take the thorn and remove it from your skin. What happens every time you remove a thorn from your flesh? You bleed. God does not give you the reminder of the sin without allowing you to see a picture of the blood. And I thank the Lord for that. And so there's, there's more to this than just what has been, but it's what can be. Now notice this. Adam seen what had been. Adam seen what was. But Adam seen what could be. And it'd be good for you and I as we walk through this life to understand what has been. To know what is. But to know what can be. And I thank the Lord for that. And so is any among you afflicted? Who are you going to go to? We better go to the Lord. The Lord's the only one that can help us uh, piece together this puzzle of experience that he's given us so that we can learn the lesson that he's trying to teach us. So is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now our people associate the anointing of oil with healing. Now I want you to notice this. When you think about healing in the scripture, you think about the anointing of oil. But oil wasn't just used for healing. And there's a reason why the oil was used when one was going to be healed. Now you do know that, and I don't want to be repetitive, but this is important and this builds on this, so you need this. The understanding that the, the disciples that were going around and healing people, they were doing it to point towards the deity of Christ. We understand that. But you understand that when the Lord went to that blind man and he put the dirt or and he spit in the dirt and made, and, and made the clay, the Bible said he anointed his eyes with clay. The, the, the word anointing just means to daub or smear. Okay? But the oil is a representation of something. And if you'll go back and you'll look at the tabernacle, you'll find that the oil is a picture and type of the Holy Spirit of God. And so what happens here is when you consider anointing with oil, we've talked about is any afflicted, let him pray. Do you know what you need more than anything, Brother Shane, when you're afflicted and you're sick and you're in troubles and trials of your life? You need the Lord. And if I was sick, Brother Shane, and I come to the, I come to you and I said, Brother Shane, I'm going through this. I need the Lord. You can't help me, can you? Absolutely not. So what does the oil represent? The oil is for men to take their eyes off of Brother Shane, who may be the one helping administer the oil. And the, for the oil to be the center of attention, because the oil represents that of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know what you need when you're sick and afflicted and in troubles and trials of your life? You need the Holy Ghost of God. You need the personal relationship that you have with the Lord. Anytime a person goes through troubles and trials, their instinct is to go to somebody for help. But we fail sometimes to go to the very one that can help. 
And so this oil is a representation of something. It doesn't mean that because you've had the oil put on your head that you're going to be healed of all your sicknesses and ailments. What it is is a picture of people help pointing you back to that of the Lord and showing you that the only person and the only thing that can help you in this time of trouble is the Lord. Why? Because we've been talking about experiences. And we've been talking about a first time for everything. There's nothing new under the sun, right? But it's a, it's, it's a first time experience for you. And when I go through something for the first time and I'm scared and I'm worried and I'm concerned, I need the Lord. And I got news for you. I hope that there's enough spirituality to you to help point me towards the Lord. Because sometimes we get scared and we, when we get scared, we get frantic. And when you get frantic, you run around like you don't know what's going on. It's those that are frantic that lose their mind and they don't know what to do or where to go or where to turn. You always turn back to the Lord, friend. Is any afflicted, let him pray. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. To, to anoint is to smear or daub. Psalms 23 and 5 says that anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Well, what was going on? Before you get to Psalms 23.5. says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, fear can sit in your heart. Now, let me remind you, we're, we've been talking about these that should be patient, right? Why should they be patient? Because they were saying, even so come Lord Jesus in their heart. That was their attitude. And he's saying, be patient, be patient. But now, when we get down to this time where we may have to die, what happens to mankind? We die. And if any is sick, what happens? We go to the elder and we want the oil put on our head. And, and, and we, we says, if any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we see the action of the one that's sick, but we see the action of the elders. The one that's sick is calling for the elders for help. But the elders are pointing him back towards the Lord. And they're making the center of attention the Holy Spirit of God. All right, so then we see here, he says, uh, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, then we get down to Psalms 23, 5, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So in the valley of the shadow of death, the oil was applied. Not, not to keep man from dying, but that the Spirit of God would keep him and comfort him in the valley of the shadow of death. So would you agree with me tonight that we are not immortal? I don't think anybody in the sound of my voice can argue with the fact that it is appointed that man wants to die and everyone in the sound of my voice will close our eyes in death. Unless the Lord comes back and, or, and, and, and calls the church, raptures the church out. Now it's interesting, follow me here for just a minute, that these Jews had the attitude, even so come Lord Jesus. But they were exhorted to be patient. Why? Because there's something left for you to do. Paul said to live as Christ, but to die is gain. So as long as we're living, we're to be about the Father's business. And in this dispensation, we need to be concerned about a lost and dying world. Not to, be, not to say, even so come Lord Jesus, but to take this opportunity and work while we've got time. But everybody likes the idea of even so come Lord Jesus. But nobody likes the idea of closing your eyes in death. Oh, I love the idea of the Lord coming back while we're still in, in, in service tonight and you and I getting to leave this walk of life and meet Him in the air. 
But I don't want to die and y'all leave you here. I'm not looking to close my eyes in death due to sickness. Why? Because there's a lot of unknown things about that that causes a person to have anxiety. And so as any sick among you do what? Need to be pointed back towards the Lord. So there's this, there's this exhortation to be patient, to live your life, to do what you can while you're here. Boy, but if there's any sick among you, you need the Lord. All right? And so we, we go on here. We are not immortal. We cannot live forever. We can live with him forever. So 1 Corinthians 15 and 51 starts out and says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, we are mortal. We're going to die. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then, uh, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the, uh, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be ye steadfast. Oh, there's that word. What was it that we were taught right over here in uh, verses number 8? Be ye also patient, establish your hearts. Get fixed. Get rooted, get grounded, get solid. Do not let anything move you in your service for the Lord. And as we're looking at mortality and immortality, understanding that the Lord will rapture the church, we find here it says, Therefore, my beloved, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. That means even in the valley of the shadow of death, you can go forward and move on for the glory of God. Why? David said in Psalm 23, I have anointed my head with oil. He was looking for that of the Holy Spirit. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, no matter what you're going through, You'll stay steadfast and unmovable even in your tribulation, even in your trials, even in your experiences where I'm trying to allow you to know me better. Your work and labor of love will not be in vain. It is effectual. It is producing something. And just like Paul, Paul had to go through some things that was hurting him and was afflicting him, but it was furthering the gospel of Christ. It was making his life effectual. Why? Because people were looking at his life. And people are looking at the church. And that's why we are being exhorted of all that we had learned up till verse number 12. That let our yea be yea and our nay be nay. You and I need to be trustworthy. And when things are good, we need to be trustworthy. When things are bad, we need to be trustworthy. When it's convenient, we need to be trustworthy. When it's inconvenient, when we have tribulation and troubles and trials of life, people need to see us being unmovable and steadfast because at the end of the day, Paul did say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And whether we live or whether we go, whether we live or whether we stay, whether we die, we understand that we are a winner no matter how it plays out. I'm a winner either way. 
if I go or if I stay. And so Paul understood to live as Christ as long as I'm here. In all circumstances and all tribulations, I'm to work for the Lord. But when I die, close my eyes in death, my life will have just begun. And it will be far greater for me to be with him than it would be as far as he was personally concerned than to walk on the face of this sin-cursed world where thorns and briars poke us and remind us of the curse that's of sin on this world. And we'll end there and pick back up uh, in verse number 15, uh, maybe next Wednesday night or next Sunday night. The Bible says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Now I do want to call your attention without trying to get any deeper in this. Verse 19 says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. I do want you to understand something. We are talking about a sin-cursed world. We're talking about a sin life. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. You don't get saved without faith. This isn't all about your body being healed. This is about you and in your body of an affliction. There are some that will be converted. You and I in our, in our troubles and trials of life and the affliction that we go through, if we stay steadfast and unmovable, understanding that our labor of love is not in vain, God will use us and we can convert a sin laden. We can convert sinners to be saved. Let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for this Bible study, this time of learning in the Scripture. We pray, God, that you would help us as we. Uh, continue to look into this chapter and dig deeper into the Word of God and grab this uh, contextually. We love you tonight. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that even in trials and tribulations of life that you are teaching us to know you and have a better understanding of you and to have a closer relationship with you and that you are using us for your cause. Help us, Father, tonight not to rob ourselves of the privilege of being effectual and being used by taking our eyes off of you and placing them on our circumstances and not stopping to ask the question, what are you teaching us with what we are going through right now? Lord, we thank you that you are teaching us, drawing us closer to you, helping us to have a more intimate understanding of who you are and helping us, Lord, each day by day come to appreciate you more, not just for what you've done for us, but for who you are. We love you tonight. We thank you for this church and what you're doing here. And ask God that all that is said and done tonight will find a lodging place in the heart and that we can go outside the four walls of this building tonight Take the word of God with us where we go. Chew on this. Consider it. Ponder. Study the word of God. And be ready, Lord, as we come back in on next Sunday night to open the scripture. Lord, for you to help us as we finish this chapter. Gather all that you'd have for us out of these very wonderful verses of scripture. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing for us. In Jesus' name we pray.